2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday, June 30th. Happy last day of the second quarter. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart, and the Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Cryptocurrencies and some high-flying meme stocks have taken a hit. We'll cover that in our next segment. A report on inflation and jobless claims headlines. Today's economic file. Joining us with the details is Bob Brusca, chief economist with Fact and Opinion Economic economics based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. At 10:20 we talked about whether the idea, the notion of if inflation is either plateaued or peaked. Uh, let's talk about what some some moves that, uh, that that investors are making on this final day of the quarter. Um, is the market activity today uh, going to reflect the fact that uh, people are trying to get get some moves done uh, before the end of Q2 and before a long or at least shortened holiday week next week? Well, there
3: are probably uh, some investment firms that are trying to dress up their balance sheet for their end of quarter statements so that they have things the way they want them to appear to investors when they have to do end of quarter uh, uh, statements for people. But, you know, for the for the ordinary investor, um, today is the same as tomorrow and tomorrow is the same as the next day. Um, You know, unless it's the end of the year and there's a tax period, there's really no difference. You just make decisions on what's happening. Markets are still having a hard time coming to grips. You know, today's PCE report showed uh, some pronounced weakness in consumer spending. And while the uh, while the core uh, inflation number was slightly better, the headline for the PCE is still showing a lot of uh, uh, a lot of pressure. And so the situation for inflation is still, you know, it's it's still like a live grenade. Uh, We don't know when it's going to go off. We don't know if it's going to be a dud. It's showing signs of plateauing. We don't. Investors don't really know what to do. There hasn't been a safe place to go, and that's the problem. So, you know, you can engage in a lot of transactions, but you have no idea whether you're running away from the smoke or running into the fire.
2: And then starting next week and next month, uh, we'll have a, a lot of numbers uh, giving us a, a good idea of where the economy is in the middle of this year. Um, what what can we expect as uh, second quarter earnings season starts? What's that's going to show?
3: Uh, well, I think it'll show uh, a more difficult business environment. Uh Consumers have been a little bit more challenged with, uh, with spending and with their money. They're being a little bit more careful. I think that it's becoming more scarce for some of them. Uh, you may have seen that the state of California is getting ready another, uh, another cornucopia of money handouts ahead of the elections. Uh, there, was, you know, there was so much money handed out during the last stimulus program that states really weren't able to spend it. and They didn't spend it. So now California has so much money in their state coffers that they're going to give people money to sort of offset the increase in energy prices, or so they say. But they're going to do it, of course, right ahead of the elections. And, uh, it, you know, this really puts all of the spending that's been done into in some kind of a light. I mean, there's been an awful lot of money transferred to the states to do different things with it. And this is what different states are doing. Some of them have used it productively, and some of them are trying to use it to buy political favors.
2: Bob Bruska, chief economist with Fact and Opinion Economic Base, B- B- Economics based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, a look at the sell-off in cryptocurrencies and meme stock. <music> loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The cryptocurrency crash continues as Bitcoin dipped below $19,000 a token this morning. Joining us with the latest is Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Mike, thanks for joining us today. In the world of cryptocurrency and meme stocks, it's safe to say that the fun's over.
4: Well, good afternoon, Robin. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, the fun ended a while ago. Now we're trying to figure out where is, where is, it, where is, it, where is it going to be the bottom. Um, and I think the more we search for the bottom, the, the more likely we're not there yet. <laughs> um, but uh, certainly the fun is over, and now there's just a lot of pain. And uh, you see Bitcoin uh, drop, as you noted, drop below 19000 it, it, It's now above there, but it's still below 20000 which is kind of a psychological level for, for the coin and there's just a lot of pain out there there's funds that are are being liquidated um, in other words invest, investment funds uh three arrows three arrows capital has uh defaulted on a loan which means they may end up being forced to sell a lot of their assets and their assets are basically crypto so whenever you have pain like this in a sector It not only has a a downward pressure on that sector, but there's also collateral damage in other asset classes like the stock market. Because if people have to liquidate other assets to pay for losses in crypto, what's that going to be? Well, that might be stocks, right? And that's what we're seeing as well. So this is a fallout that is affecting everything, not just crypto.
2: There's been a lot of comparisons uh, between uh, Web3, uh, the cryptocurrency space, and NFTs and the metaverse, and that whole genre of uh, virtual businesses and virtual tokens and so on and so forth, and Web1, which was uh, the the initial dot-com era in the late 90s that came crashing down in 2000. And there's a lot of comparisons between the crashes as well. Um, Does this mean we're going to be kind of spinning our wheels for three years until the uh, next thing comes out? You know, the next thing 20 years ago was Facebook and social media. Is there going to be a similar interregnum uh, with uh, cryptocurrency and that space until the next thing happens?
4: Well, you know, history uh, doesn't really repeat itself, but it often rhymes, right? So this is definitely rhyming a lot with Y2K and and that, Dot com crash. I mean very similar things happening where there was froth built up in, in businesses that quite honestly weren't really viable. So back then it was some of those websites that, that like pets.com, etc., cetera, um, that, that really never never were able to um, get big enough to succeed. And so now you're seeing this in this version of it in the crypto space, In some of these smaller coins and some of these firms, uh, some of these um, funds. So, yes, there's definitely a comparison. Will it get as bad as 2000? I don't personally think so. MJP Capital, we don't, let's actually look at a big thing that that Buffett has said. The three L's that can kill you are ladies, liquor, and leverage. What we're seeing is leverage uh, being a problem. And at MJB Capital, we don't use leverage because we don't need to. And I would suggest to, to investors not to do that as well because that's what's causing all this pain. There's too many people that have weak hands that are holding on to crypto and are being forced to sell. The only question in my mind right now is what inning are we in? If we're in what I think is the fifth or sixth inning, then I think it's okay to wait in there and buy some of this, uh, buy some of this pain. But we could be in for another six months or even a year of a downdraft just because of so much froth being built up. So we will see. I do think that you can buy some assets here, and we are as well, but you have to be careful because there's, there could be a lot more coming down the road here.
2: Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Coming up next, Americans are seeing some relief at the gas pump as oil prices tumble for a second consecutive week. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. For the second straight week, crude oil is traded lower, leading to a decline in gas prices across the country. We welcome in Patrick Dehan, Senior Petroleum Analyst, GasBuddy.com, based in Chicago. Patrick, thanks for joining us today. Um, two things I want to ask you about. Uh, let's start with the uh, price of oil, which has been trending down. Uh, what's driving that decline?
0: Well, Rob, we've finally started to see some improvement in terms of oil supply. Of course, jitters remain about the economy and the concern that a recession could slow down consumption. Uh, And as well, talk from OPEC about increasing production. At the same time, data from the government now pointing out that U.S. production was up another 100,000 barrels. We're back at 12.1 million barrels of domestic oil production a day. That still trails where it was prior to COVID, but is still uh, at the highest we've seen since the pandemic.
2: And one of the charts or the the, the numbers that you like to cite uh, on your Twitter account, which is very informative, uh, is the uh, futures market for gasoline. And that uh, that number seems to be cratering. How does that translate to the price of the pump?
0: Yeah, well, uh, you're referring to the uh, the futures price for uh, Arbob, uh, reformulated gasoline. Uh, that's a strong indicator on where gas prices will go in the coming weeks. As you mentioned, it is down, plummeting 18 and a half cents a gallon today. That's a nearly 5% drop. Uh, that's going to lead us down in average gas prices over the next couple of weeks. Of course, we've already seen prices moving down. The average price in Chicago now down seven cents in the last week to 577 with some stations in the metro area. I count three that are under $5 a gallon.
2: Now, does that mean uh, the, the the some speculators were uh, in the in the RBOB market trying to make a killing and now they're moving out? Or is this indicative of a larger trend?
0: Well, I think the market was a little bit overbought there for a while, very frothy. Uh, but the fundamentals warranted it. Now, not a whole lot has changed in the fundamentals. We're starting to move in the right direction. Gasoline inventories have risen for the past two weeks But, uh, you know, I I think the market may be moving from an overbought situation to potentially oversold. So uh, we'll have to see how the fundamentals shake out. But there hasn't been so much improvement yet that would really warrant prices that at the wholesale level are now down 60 to 70 cents a gallon from earlier this month.
2: Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst, GasBuddy.com, based in Chicago. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, will examine how 3D printing is providing an alternative
1: in the home-building environment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash recommend today.
5: This is Chicago's All News Station. News radio 780 and 105.9
2: FM. The WBBM noon business hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. History is made as Ketanji Brown-Jackson takes the oath to become the first black woman on the Supreme Court. The latest coming up in a CBS News special report. As the noon business hour continues on this technology Thursday, we'll examine how 3D printers are making home building more affordable. Another high-end retailer will be setting up shop on Chicago's Gold Coast. WBBM business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 160 points. The NASDAQ is down 81. The S&P 500 is down 15. AccuWeather says sunny to partly cloudy today, becoming breezy and hot this afternoon, and a high today of 92. We have 88 degrees right now in Chicago at 1231.
0: CBS News Brief. Big day at the Supreme Court.
1: I, Ketanji Brown Jackson.
0: I,
6: Ketanji Brown Jackson.
0: Ketanji Brown Jackson now officially sworn in, becoming the first black woman to sit on the nation's highest court. Jackson once worked for Justice Stephen Brown. Breyer, who retired today after 28 years. The Supreme Court also ruled today the Biden administration can end a Trump-era policy, forcing asylum seekers to wait in Mexico. Legal analyst Jessica Levinson. They looked at a number of different provisions of the immigration law,
1: eventually finding that the Biden administration was not required, didn't have a must detain, but in fact instead had a may detain.
0: And a ruling involving the EPA and climate change. Retired federal judge Vanessa
3: Gilmore. The authority that the EPA was attempting to exercise is now not going to be able to to take place. The Supreme Court says they do not have that authority under the Clean Air Act.
0: CBS News Brief. I'm Monica Ricks.
2: It's 12.32. The Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are trading lower on this last day of the second quarter. Joining us with the latest and what's moving the financial markets is Tim Griske, Senior Portfolio Strategist at Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Market moves on this final day of the quarter. Are we going to see a lot of uh, technical moves today as uh, they try to get uh, as Investors try to get their uh, numbers in balance before the end of the quarter and a, a long holiday weekend?
6: Uh, Rob, yes. Well, you always see that, especially at the end of a quarter. Uh, it's called window dressing, and portfolio managers do it to make the, their portfolios look more attractive when clients receive their quarter-end statements. Uh, but I think the, uh, there's you know, some actually good news uh, coming out of uh, the market today in terms of the economy. Uh inflation, at least core inflation, excluding food and energy, uh, was down sharply last month, according to the uh, core PCE index. That's the Fed's favorite measure of inflation. Uh, so that is is good news. It's actually uh, the third straight month that we've seen core inflation fall. Now, of course, what really matters is total inflation. That includes food and energy. And Energy prices, of course, are uh, stubbornly high, as are food prices, as I'm sure everybody knows who's been to the grocery store lately. Uh, So uh, it's very tough for the Fed to have any influence uh, on those two measures. Uh, but core inflation coming down is certainly a good thing.
2: I mentioned with another guest earlier today that looking at the uh, month-over-month uh, inflation numbers in a bar graph basis reminded me of when I used to look at the uh, daily COVID case counts for the state of Illinois. And uh, every now and then you thought, uh, as you saw those numbers plateau and go down, you'd say to yourself, well, I think we've turned a corner. But eventually you turn enough corners and you're back where you began. Does that risk... Uh, does the potential for that exist when it comes to gauging inflation?
6: Well, sure. It's always possible that inflation uh, turns back around and heads back up. But uh, the Fed is out there raising interest rates. Uh, They're going to continue to do that through the end of the year till we get to a Fed funds rate of about 3.5% or so. Uh, and that should really help bring core inflation down. Uh, in terms of total inflation, you know, that's really tough. Uh, You know, Saudi Arabia or OPEC plus really uh, is going to pump some more uh, gas, uh, some more oil. uh, And that should help uh, with pricing somewhat. Uh, But it's not a lot. Uh, This was promised a while ago. Now, uh, President Biden is heading over to Saudi Arabia uh, during July Uh, And we're certainly hopeful that he might have more influence to uh, get them to uh, perhaps pump even more to bring these these very high energy prices down
2: futures contracts for uh, wholesale gasoline uh, falling rapidly uh, back into the mid three dollar range and uh, depending on local regulations it will eventually uh, uh, drivers will eventually see that 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 saving that level that that decrease at the pump um, if gas prices do come down in an appreciable manner uh, what kind of impact will that have on inflation will um, that bring everything down or will the countervailing thing take place where people have more money to spend that, that and they will spend it because they're not spending it on gasoline.
6: <laughs> well I think you know spending is is one thing and inflation is another. We've actually seen spending fall this past month. Uh, consumer spending was down significantly, uh, which actually means the savings rate was up. Uh, so that is also you know positive news here. Uh, we have seen energy prices come down uh, since mid-june. Uh, And, you know, that certainly is positive. I think it's speculation on perhaps Biden's visit to uh, to Saudi Arabia. It's also perhaps some speculation on the the war in uh, Eastern Europe, in Ukraine. Uh, But, uh, you know, in terms of of overall inflation, uh, it's going to be with us uh, for a while here, although, you know, the Fed's efforts uh, to combat it. Uh, through raising uh, the Fed funds rate, raising interest rates should have a positive impact uh, and should help the overall economy. So uh, we think it's it's a good thing the what the Fed is doing. It does risk a recession. Uh, but overall, this is what they have to do.
2: Tim Griske, Senior Portfolio Strategist at Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, to look at alternatives to traditional home building that are both sustainable and more affordable. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. On this Technology Thursday, we look at how 3D printers are helping ease the impact inflation is having on the costs of house building. Joining us to talk about this is Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thanks for joining us today. 3D printing is a technology that's been around for quite some time. This is not uh, some new uh, fantastical invention, even though uh, when you see it in action, it does. Um... But what's, what problem does the 3D printer solve when it comes to building a house? Is it, does it solve the supply chain crunch, or does it solve the uh, Great Resignation crisis?
5: Uh, short answer, yes. <laughs> In other words, um, it solves a lot of problems. Basically, to help people sort of envision what this looks like, many people have seen a 3D printer, some haven't. But essentially, a liquid-like material with a 3D printer uh, comes out of a nozzle, and it's placed, and all of it, that placing and the guidance of that nozzle comes from a computer. But basically, it's placed, and, and you build up something by layers, and out comes a 3D object, in this case, a home. And what is being spit out of that nozzle is concrete, liquid, you know, before it hardens. And what this device does, it solves the problem, to answer your question, of, uh, of getting crews to take, to build up, you know, takes multiple kinds of crews, framers, uh, foundation folks, electricians, and so forth, to build a house. This reduces dramatically the number of people involved and the cost and the speed. A house just got built in South Richmond as part of a project uh, the Virginia Housing Authority put together using a Danish uh, 3D printing company called Cobod. And out came a house, and it got built in about a week and a half. Now, And the cost, by the way, speaking of inflation, $235,000 for this house. Now, granted, South Richmond is not the hottest real estate market necessarily, certainly, but prices have gone up everywhere. And if you can get a three-bedroom, 1,500-square-foot house uh, built in a couple weeks uh, for $235,000, you're talking about a real solution to a major problem, which is, A, you can't get crews. B, it takes forever to get... Uh, to, to build a house. And finally, see, there are all kinds of environmental advantages. So lots of, lots of pluses here.
2: And we're talking about a 3D printed house. Would this be entirely a, uh, made entirely out of concrete, or can they change the materials uh, as the construction project goes on?
5: No, it's a great question. Basically, what you do is the, the structure itself, and that, and that includes not only the foundation, but also the walls, all the room walls, everything can be in concrete. What that does is it dramatically speeds up uh, the process of construction to the point where you de- you do need other materials. For example, building a kitchen. I mean, the kitchen cabinets are not made out of concrete, for example. Uh, you install those and, and sinks and, and all kinds of appliances all come in inside the structure. But because that structure got built so quickly, the whole process is dramatically accelerated. The cost is dramatically lower. 235 grand for a three bedroom house is low. And by the way, you know this is not just for homes. GE and GE Power are using 3D printers to build the base of those giant windmills. And the reason that's important is because that base used to be concrete that had to be flown in with giant helicopters. Now it's put in place. It's stronger because of some polymers than the original base. You can make the base taller, therefore the windmill taller, therefore more energy efficiency because it gets more wind. So all kinds of benefits accrue with this 3D printing mechanism.
2: And if the 3D printer is going off of uh, uh, blueprints that have been uploaded to it, uh, then you you get a a greater degree of accuracy than you would with uh, human... Human workers, one would one would believe.
5: Well, anybody who's seen the the renovation that was done in my house would agree with you. (laughs) Um, It's you know we're talking about millimeters of tolerance here because exactly what you just said. Software guides it. uh, Plans are uploaded. You can do it remotely. You can make alterations midway. If you want to change change something, you can certainly do it. Obviously, when the concrete hardens, that's not true. But one other advantage. Concrete is insulating from sound. If you end up in a place that, you know, you'd love to live, but that you're near a busy road, it's incredibly quiet inside. So, yes, you get great, very, very small tolerances, which is awesome. In other words, everything comes in exactly the way you wanted it. It's quieter, it's energy efficient, it's faster, and it's, uh, it's easier to get done faster.
2: Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor of the Today Show, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, a fashion house known for its ultra-expensive apparel and accessories will soon have its own presence on Chicago's Gold Coast. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. French fashion house Celine has signed a lease to open a boutique on Rush near Oak Street in Chicago's Gold Coast. Here to give us a closer look at that move is Albie Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Albie, thanks for joining us today. I guess it just goes to show you that uh, catering to ultra-high net worth individuals is always a recession-proof business.
7: I think there's some truth to that, Rob. Uh, you know, if you look around the corner at North Michigan Avenue, things are pretty rough. Uh, va- the vacancy rate is very high. Um, you know, there may be some, um, you know, glimmers of hope there in terms of new leasing activity. But, you know, Oak Street never really got hit all that hard by the pandemic. And it's really hanging in there and uh, and even flourishing. And I think the Saline lease um, at 939 North, North Rush Street, just around the corner, is, um, is an example of how you know, how it's remained a, a strong, uh, popular destination for retailers and shoppers.
2: And does this cater to people coming in from out of town? Um, is this going to be a national or perhaps international destination? Or will this cater to uh, uh, the heavy hitters who already live in the neighborhood?
7: I would probably say all of the above. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Oak Street and, and you know, the, the boutiques around Rush and Walton, Are um, they attract really a a, a mix of um, upper crust customers, locals, and people who are you know tourists who are in in town maybe for the weekend or for for some kind of uh, for some kind of trip? So yeah, it's definitely a combination.
2: Is this potentially a way forward for North Michigan Avenue? I mean, obviously, we're talking a couple of blocks west of uh, the Magnificent Mile in the the shadow of the Hancock Building. Um, But is this a a potential way forward for the rest of North Michigan Avenue, where uh, it goes from being kind of like a middle-class shopping destination to uh, uh, the the, the top of the 1%?
7: You know, I don't know that I would say that because, um, you know, they're only— so many of these super high-end retailers, and they actually don't really want or need that much space. I mean, the um, the Celine store is only going to be 49,000 square feet. Actually, that's not, that's not that small, but relative to some of the monster spaces that you see on North Michigan Avenue, it is, it is small. So I don't think you're going to see these boutiques uh, soaking up the excess space on north michigan avenue and actually there's kind of been a migration off of north michigan avenue and on to oak street so i don't know that that's the answer i think there are plenty of other ideas that are being knocked around for north michigan avenue it will come back but it's um it's going to be tough
2: well, there's always room for Punky Brewster, the experience, on North Michigan Avenue until uh, the retail space figure, figures out what it's going to do.
7: That or the Museum of Ice Cream, right?
2: Albie <laughs> Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business, thanks for joining us this afternoon. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.